Chapter Six, Part One of Glimpses of Italian Society in the Eighteenth Century by Hester Lynch Piozzi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Florence. We slept nowhere except perhaps in the carriage between our last residence at Bologna and this delightful city, to which we passed apparently through a new region of the earth or even air clambering up mountains covered with snow and viewing with amazement the little valleys between where after quitting the summer season all glowing with heat and spread into verdure we found cherry trees in blossom oaks and walnuts scarcely beginning to bud these mountains are however much below those of savoy for dignity and beauty of appearance though high enough to be troublesome and barren enough to be desolate. We arrived late at our inn, an English one, they say it is, and many of the last miles were passed very pleasantly by my maid and myself in anticipating the comforts we should receive by finding ourselves among our own country folks in good time, and by once more eating, sleeping, etc., all in the English way as her phrase is accordingly here are small low beds again soft and clean and down pillows here are current tarts which the italians scorn to touch but which we are happy and delighted to pay not ten but twenty times their value for because a current tart is so much in the english way and here are beans and bacon in a climate where it is impossible that bacon should be either wholesome or agreeable, and one eats infinitely worse than one did at Milan, Venice or Bologna, and infinitely dearer too, but that makes it still more completely in the English way. The fruits in this place begin to astonish me. Such cherries did I never yet see or even hear tell of, as when I caught the Lucky de Place weighing two of them in a scale to see if they came to an ounce. These are, in the London street phrase, cherries like plums, in size at least, but in flavour they far exceed them, being exactly of the kind that we call bleeding hearts, hard to the bite and parting easily from the stone, which is proportionately small. Figs, too, are here in such perfection that it is not easy for an English gardener to guess at their excellence, for it is not by superior size but taste and colour that they are distinguished, small and green on the outside, a bright full crimson within. And we eat them with raw ham, and truly delicious is the dainty. By raw ham I mean ham cured, not boiled or roasted. It is no wonder, though, that fruit should mature in such a sun as this is, which, to give a just notion of its penetrating fire, I will take leave to tell my countrywomen it is so violent that I use no other method of heating the pinching irons to curl my hair than that of poking them out of a south window, with the handle shut in and the glasses darkened to keep us from being actually fired in its beams. Before I leave off speaking about the fruit, I must add that both fig and cherry are produced by standards, that the strawberries here are small and high-flavoured like our woods, 
and that there are no other. England affords greater variety in that kind of fruit than any nation, and as to peaches, nectarines, or greengrage plums, I have seen none yet. Lady Cooper has made us a present of a small pineapple, but the Italians have no taste to it. Here is sun enough to ripen them without hothouses, I'm sure, though they repeatedly told us at Milan and Venice that this was the coolest place to pass the summer in, because of the Apennine Mountains shading us from the heat, which they confess to be intolerable with them. Here, however, they inform us that it is madness to retire into the country as English people do during the hot season, for as there is no shade from high timber trees, one is bit to death by animals, gnats in particular, which here are excessively troublesome even in the town, notwithstanding we scatter vinegar and use all the arts in our power. But the ground floor is coolest, and everybody struggles to get themselves a terreno, as they call it. Florence is full just now, and Mr. Jean Filiazzi, an intelligent gentleman who lives here and is well acquainted with both nations, says that all the genteel people come to take refuge from the country to Florence in July and August, as the subjects of Great Britain run to the country from the heaths of London or Bath. The flowers, too. How rich they are in scent here! How brilliant in colour! How magnificent in size! Wallflowers perfuming every street and even every passage while pinks and single carnations grow beside them with no more soil than they require themselves. And from the tops of houses where you least expect it, an aromatic flavour highly gratifying is diffused. The jessamine is large, broad-leaved and beautiful as an orange flower. But I have seen no roses equal to those at Litchfield, where on one tree I recollect counting eighty-four within my own reach. It grew against the house of Dr. Darwin. Such a profusion of sweets made me inquire yesterday morning for some scented pomatum. And they brought me accordingly one pot smelling strong of garden mint, the other of rue and tansy. Thus do the inhabitants of every place forfeit or fling away those pleasures which the inhabitants of another place think they would use in a much wiser manner had providence bestowed the blessing upon them a young milanese once whom i met in london saw me treat a hatter that lives in pall mall with the respect due to his merit when the man was gone pray madam says the italian is this a gran ricone footnote heavy pursed fellow End footnote. He is, perhaps, replied I, worth twenty or thirty thousand pounds. I do not know what ideas you annex to a gran ricone. Oh, santissima revergine, exclaims the youth. Savesi io mai santanta mille zecchini. Non so, purtroppo cosa ne farai. Ma questo è chiaro. Non venderai mai capelli. Footnote. Oh dear me, had I won seventy thousand sequins in my pocket, I would, I cannot think myself what I should do with them all, but this at least is certain, I would not sell hats. 
End footnote. June the 24th, 1785. St. John the Baptist is the tutelary saint of this city, and upon this day, of course, all possible rejoicings are made. After attending divine service in the morning, we were carried to a house whence we could conveniently see the procession pass by. It was not solemn and stately as that I saw at Bologna, neither was it gaudy and jocund like the show made at Venice upon St. George's Day, but consisted chiefly in vast heavy pageants, or a sort of temporary building set on wheels and drawn by oxen, some and some by horses, others carried upon things made not unlike a chairman's horse in London and supported by men while priests in various coloured dresses according to their several stations in the church and to distinguish the parishes etc to which they belong follow singing in praise of the saint here is much emulation showed too i am told in these countries where religion makes the great and almost the sole amusement of men's lives who shall make most figure on st john the baptist's day produce most music and go to most expense for all these purposes subscriptions are set on foot for ornamenting and venerating such a picture statue etc which are then added to the procession by the managers and called a confraternity in honour of the blessed virgin the angel raphael or who comes into their heads the lady of the house where we went to partake the diversion was not wanting in her part there could not be fewer than a hundred and fifty people assembled in her rooms but not crowded as we should have been in england for the apartments in italy are all high and large and run in suites like wanstead house in essex or devonshire house in london exactly but larger still and with immense balconies and windows not sashes which move all away and give good room and air the ices refreshments etc were all excellent in their kinds and liberally dispensed the ladies seemed to do the honours of her house with perfect good humour and everybody being full dressed though so early in the morning added to the general effect of the whole here i had the honour of being introduced to cardinal corsini who put me a little out of countenance by saying suddenly well madam you never saw one of us red-legged partridges before i believe but you are going to rome i hear where you will find such fellows as me no rarities the truth is i had seen the amiable prince dorini at milan who was a cardinal and who had taken delight in showing me prodigious civilities nothing ever struck me more than his abrupt entrance one night at our house when we had a little music and everybody stood up the moment he appeared the prince however walked forward to the harpsichord and blessed my husband in a manner the most graceful and affecting then sat the amusement out and returned the next morning to breakfast with us when he indulged us with two hours conversation at least adding the kindest and most pressing invitations to his country seat among the mountains of Brianza, when we should return from our tour of Italy in the spring of 1786. Florence, therefore, was not the first place that showed me a cardinal. In the afternoon we all looked out of our windows which faced the street, not mine, as they, happily, 
command a view of the river, the Cascini woods, etc., and from them enjoyed a complete sight of an Italian horse race. For after the coaches had paraded up and down some time to show the equipage liveries, etc., all have on a sudden notice to quit the scene of action, and all do quit it in such a manner as is surprising. The street is now covered with sawdust and made fast at both ends. The starting post is adorned with elegant booths lined with red velvet for the court and first nobility. At the other end a piece of tapestry is hung to prevent the creatures from dashing their brains out when they reach the goal. Thousands and ten thousands of people on foot fill the course. That it is a standing wonder to me still that numbers are not killed. The prizes are now exhibited to view quite in the old classical style. A piece of crimson damask for the winner, perhaps, a small silver basin and ewer for the second, and so on, leaving no performer unrewarded. And at last come out the concorrenti, without riders, but with a narrow leathern strap hung across their backs, which has a lump of ivory fastened to the end of it, all set full of sharp spikes, like a hedgehog. And this goads them along while galloping, worse than any spurs could do, because the faster they run, the more this odd machine keeps jumping up and down and pricking their sides, ridiculously enough. And it makes one laugh to see that some of them are provoked by it not to run at all, but to set about plunging in order to rid themselves of the inconvenience, instead of driving forward to divert the mob who leap and shout and caper with delight and lash the laggers along with great indignation indeed and with the most comical gestures i never saw horses in so droll a state of degradation before for they are all striped or spotted or painted of some colour to distinguish them each from other and nine or ten often start at a time to the great danger of lookers-on i think but exceedingly to my entertainment who have the comfort of Mrs. Greathead's company, and the advantage of seeing all safely from her well-situated terreno or ground floor. The chariot race was more splendid, but less diverting. This was performed in the piazza or square, an unpaved open place not bigger than Covent Garden, I believe, and the ground strangely uneven. The cars were light and elegant, one driver and two horses to each, the first very much upon the principle of the antique chariots described by old poets, and the last trapped showily in various colours adapted to the carriages, that people might make their bets accordingly upon the pink, the blue, the green, etc. I was exceedingly amused with seeing what so completely revived all classic images and seemed so little altered from the classic times. Cavalier Delci, in reply to my expressions of delight, told me that the same spirit still subsisted exactly, but that in order to prevent accidents arising from the disputants' endeavours to overturn or circumvent each other, it was now sunk into a mere appearance of a contest, but that all the chariots belonged to one man, he would doubtless be careful enough that his coachman should not go to spiring at the hazard of their horses. 
the pass was carried on to the end however and the winner spread his velvet in triumph and drove round the course to enjoy the acclamations and caresses of the crowd we had another and another just such a race for three or four evenings together and they got an english cocktailed nag and set him to the business as they said he was trained to it but i don't recollect his making a more brilliant figure than his painted and chalked neighbours of the continent we will not be prejudiced however that the florentines know how to manage horses is certain if they would take the trouble last night's theatre exhibited a proof of skill which might shame astley and all his rivals count pazzi having been prevailed on to lend his four beautiful chestnut favourites from his own carriage to draw a pageant upon the stage i saw them yesterday evening harnessed all abreast their own master in a dancer's habit i was told guiding them himself and personating the cid which was the name of the ballet if i remember right making his horses go clear round the stage and turning at the lamps of the orchestra with such dexterity docility and grace that they seemed rather to enjoy than feel disturbance at the deafening noise of instruments the repeated bursts of applause and the hollow sound of their own hoofs upon the boards of a theatre i had no notion of such discipline and thought the praises though very loud not ill bestowed as it is surely one of man's earliest privileges to replenish the earth with animal life and to subdue it i have for my own part generally speaking little delight in the obstreperous clamours of these heroic pantomimes their battles are so noisy and the acclamations of the spectators so distressing to weak nerves i dread an italian theatre it distracts me and always the same thing so every and every night how tedious it is this want of variety in the common pleasures of italy though and that surprising content with which a nation so sprightly looks on the same stuff and laughs at the same joke for months and months together is perhaps less despicable to a thinking mind than the affectation of weariness and disgust where probably it is not felt at all and where a gay heart often lurks under a clouded countenance put on to deceive spectators into a notion of his philosophy who wears it and what is worse who wears it chiefly as a mark of distinction cheaply obtained for neither science wit nor courage are now found necessary to form a man of fashion in italy so far at least as i have gone there is no impertinent desire of appearing what one is not no searching for talk and torturing expression to vary its phrases with something new and something fine or else sinking into silence from despair of diverting the company and taking up the opposite method contriving to impress them with an idea of bright intelligence concealed by modest doubts of our own powers and stifled by deep thought upon abstruse and difficult topics to get quit of all these deep-laid schemes of enjoyment where to take our breakfast we project a scheme nor drink our tea without a stratagem like the lady and dr young 
the surest method is to drop into italy where a conversazione at venice or florence after the society of london or le petit souper de paris where in their own phrase un tableau n'attend pas l'autre footnote one picture don't wait for another end footnote is like taking a walk in ham gardens or the lezes after the parterre de versailles ed i terrazzi di genoa we are affected in the house but natural in the gardens italians are natural in society affected and constrained in the disposition of their grounds no one however is good or bad or wise or foolish without a reason why restraint is made for man and where religious and political liberty is enjoyed to its full extent as in great britain the people will forge shackles for themselves and lay the yoke heavy on society to which on the contrary italians give a loose as compensation for their want of freedom in affairs of church or state i was observing that restraint was necessary to man i have now learned a notion that noise is necessary too the clatter made here in the piazza del duomo where you sit in your carriage at a coffee-house door and chat with your friends according to italian custom while one eats ice and another calls for lemonade to while away the time after dinner the noise made then and there i say is beyond endurance our florentines have nothing on earth to do yet a dozen fellows crying ciambelli little cakes across the square assisted by beggars who lie upon the church steps and pray or rather promise to pray as loud as their lungs will let them for the anime sante di purgatorio footnote holy cells in purgatory and footnote ballad singers meantime endeavouring to drown these clamours in their own and gentlemen's servants disputing at the doors whose master shall be first served ripping up the pedigrees of each to prove superior claims for a biscuit or macaroon to make such an intolerable clatter among them that one cannot for one's life hear one another speak and i did say just now that it were as good live at brest or portsmouth when the rival fleets were fitting out as here where real tranquillity subsists under a bustle merely imaginary our grand duke lives with little state for aught i can observe here but where there is least pomp there is commonly most power for a man must have something pour se dédommager footnote to make himself amends end footnote as the french express it and this gentleman possessing the solide has no care for the clinquant i trow he tells his subjects when to go to bed and who to dance with till the hour he chooses they shall retire to rest with exactly that sort of old-fashioned paternal authority that fathers used to exercise over their families in england before commerce had run her levelling plough over all ranks and annihilated even the name of subordination if he hear of any person living long in florence without being able to give a good account of his business there the duke warns him to go away and if he loiter after such a warning given sends him out 
does any nobleman shine in pompous equipage or splendid table the grand duke inquires soon into his pretensions and scruples not to give personal advice and add grave reproofs with regard to the management of each individual's private affairs the establishment of their sons marriage of their sisters etc when they appeared to complain of this behaviour to me i know not replied i what to answer one has always read and heard that the sovereigns ought to behave in despotic governments like the fathers of their family and the archbishop of cambrai inculcates no other conduct than this when advising his pupil heir to the crown of france yes madam replied one of my auditors with an acuteness truly italian but this prince is our father-in-law the truth is much of an english traveller's pleasure is taken off at florence by the incessant complaints of a government he does not understand and of oppressions he cannot remedy tis so dull to hear people lament the want of liberty to which i question whether they have any pretensions and without ever knowing whether it is the tyranny or the tyrant they complain of tedious however and most uninteresting are there accounts of grievances which a subject of great britain has much ado to comprehend and more to pity as they are now all heart-broken because they must say their prayers in their own language and not in latin which how it can be construed into misfortune a tuscan alone can tell lord cork has given us many pleasing anecdotes of those who were formerly princes in this land had they a sovereign of the old medici family they would go to bed when he bid them quietly enough i believe and say their prayers in what language he would have them tis in our parliamentary phrase the men not the measures that offend them and while they pretend to whine as if despotism displeased them they detest every republican state feel envy towards venice and contempt for lucca end of chapter 6 part 1